So, Father, we are grateful for this time that we can have together. Lord, we ask that you would rule and reign in our hearts and you would open our hearts and our ears. Lord, we need help. We live in, in strange and dangerous times, Lord. And we need you more than ever. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, that you would lead and guide us and help us to see, hear, and understand what it is that you have prepared for us. Lord, we commit ourselves into your hands right now. Amen. Okay, there are still a few chairs up here. <coughs> yes. When I was uh, thinking about doing a seminar for this camp, actually I, I had a totally different topic in mind. And it wasn't until a few weeks before that I realized I should change my topic and talk about this very, <coughs> very thing of uh, fear and anxiety because I keep hearing it wherever I go. And I do travel quite a bit. <laughs> I hear it wherever I go. People are more anxious and fearful than they have been in a long time. And of course, we have plenty of reason for that. I mean, just coming out of the, the pandemic with all its uh, constraints and now having a, a war nearby and we have an economy that's not doing well. If you are an investor, you've probably been depressed for the last few months. Uh, we have lots of issues. But I want to propose to you that actually this issue with fear and anxiety has always been with us. It, it has been with us since we were children. But because right now <clears throat> we are especially challenged in that area, it kind of surfaces. And uh, what happened? That's not supposed to happen. So um, instead of thinking that this is something um, new and different, we need to remember that this is maybe God's way of pointing at us and trying to help us. Okay, now I have to do something here because I have no internet, so. All right. Sorry about this. If, if worse comes to worse, we can always start without, but uh, I've had this happen before, actually. Oops. No, that's not it either. I need to restart this here. So, but, while I'm doing this, I'm trying to multitask here. Um, <coughs> you remember when you were young, anxiety and fear already showed itself. When a child gets hungry, it becomes anxious for food, and it rebels, and it voices itself. Or then later on, when a child experiences uh, maybe boundaries for the first time in their life, and then they break those boundaries, that is when fear appears already in a child's heart. And uh, <clears throat> my story is that I have been very much familiar with fear and anxiety from a young age. I grew up in a very troubled home, and uh, I remember as a young boy <clears throat> already struggling with uh, fear and anxiety. I think I was 12 years when I had my first stomach ulcer. <laughs> and I remember always having sweaty hands because I was so, so nervous and so anxious about things in my life. And so what I want to propose to you is that, you know what, we're going to have to do it without, and that's also okay, is that um, there's a silver lining to everything. And right now what God is doing, he's actually making us aware of a problem and an issue 
that has been with us all along. Now, the big problem is this. We tend to accept things for what they are, and we don't always have the faith and the hope for change. Now, I want to share something with you that I've been talking about a lot lately. There was a time when we as a church, the Church of Jesus, we were leading the way in every area of society. We had the greatest buildings. We had the greatest music. We had the best art. We, we invented hospitals. <coughs> we built universities and schools. It was the church that led the, the way in almost every area of society. And we've lost it all and given it away. And when the world looks at us today, they don't expect us to build the greatest buildings anymore. They don't expect us to uh, have the best music in the world. But there's one thing they want to see, and that is change. That it is still possible today for people to change. And when they look at us as a church and they don't see that we are any different from them, then why should they become Christians? Why should they join us and be part of us? If we face the same issues, the same problems, we live the same lifestyle, except on Sunday, instead of playing football, we go to a place called church. This is what the world wants to see. And this is what I want to propose to you in regards to fear and anxiety, there is hope for change. But, <clears throat> sadly, this change does not come easily, and it doesn't come automatic. It, uh, I, I, there's a story I think I've told many times before, but for the sake of those that are new here, I will tell it again. It's the story of the old gentleman in the U.S. who inherited some money. It was back in the 80s. And he bought himself a huge camper, an RV, you know, like some of the ones you see here, except in America they're even bigger. And back then there was a new invention in the automotive industry that we today call the cruise control. We all are familiar with that. Most cars today have that standard and built in. So, but that was new, and he had that in his RV. And, of course, uh, he wanted to try it out. So he went on the highway, and he went up to 80 kilometers or whatever the speed limit was, and he, he pressed that button and took his foot from the gas pedal. Sure enough, the car just kept on going. He was so excited, he opened his seatbelt, and he got up out of his seat to go back and make himself a cup of coffee. Well, you can imagine what happened next. He crashed. He pretty much destroyed his nice new camper, injured his back. And as a result, he sued the company for not explaining in the manual the difference between cruise control and autopilot. And he was rewarded over a million dollars for his trouble. But the story... <laughs> The morale of the story is this. This is how I thought it was going to happen when I became a believer 50 years ago. Exactly this year was 50 years ago. I experienced some change immediately. Within the first few days and weeks, there was a change. But not in all of my character and personality. I didn't become perfect overnight. I still wrestled with lots of issues in my heart and in my life. But I thought... Now, since I have committed my life to God and have become part of his body, he will take care of the rest. And so I was waiting for him, basically, to come and change me. And like I said, there was some initial change, but then at some point, I didn't seem to go any deeper or any further. It wasn't until about 15 years ago. So I went like this for 35 years. About 15 years ago, I was introduced <laughs> to the whole way of thinking in that topic that we today call spiritual formation. And I was made aware of the fact that 
If I want God to change me, I have to do my part. There are things that he will not do to me unless I invite him and ask him to do them with me. And so going back to our original topic of fear and anxiety, I think many of us maybe have given up on uh, opposing it. Now, we are all different, obviously. Some of us are more fearful than others. Some of us battle with uh, huge anxiety and you, you're getting help and treatment. For others, it's not such a big deal. And yet, I, I propose to you, we all wrestle with that. And it is an issue. It is an issue because the Bible specifically says that we are not to fear <laughs> and that we are not to be anxious. So, how do we deal with that? Shall we just let it ride and say, well, that's God's problem? Or is there something, maybe, that we can do to help this process? So I want to start out by uh, reading a few scriptures. And I'm sorry, my thingy doesn't work, but we can do without. I don't think Jesus had one of those, so we're okay. Um, start, let's start out with fear, because it's the easier one to understand. We, we all know that feeling of fear when it rises up, don't we? It's much easier to identify than anxiety. And so um, fear is mentioned over 500 times in the Bible. And they say that 365 times it says fear not, one for each day. I didn't really count it. I think it depends on what translation you use and what language <laughs> you read in. But it doesn't really matter. The point is that the Bible is very, very strong in trying to help us with fear. Fear not. Fear not. We find it over and over and over again. And it's not like a suggestion. It's like a, it's like a command. There's a difference, you know. It's not like God suggests you shouldn't be afraid. He says, no, don't be afraid. And then you and I, we react and say, but I, I can't help it. What shall I do when it rises up inside of me? Now, to make it more clear, obviously there are different types of fears. There is one fear that is definitely allowed, and that's the fear of God. <laughs> and that's another fear I think we can live with. It's this natural fear against danger, the fear that pumps adrenaline into your body and you run away from a charging car or whatever danger is there. I think that kind of fear is probably okay. But any other fear actually is not okay. And whenever it rises up inside us, we have to make a choice. Will we allow it to, uh, to fester in our hearts, to drive us into panic mode? Or is there a way maybe to learn to overcome it? at least to some degree. Now, I have to say right from the beginning, I don't think any one of us will ever get to a point in our lives where we are completely free, free from fear and anxiety. Unless you have met a person like that, then let me know. I would love to meet them. But on the other hand, my, my, my dream and my vision is, is this, that for as long as I live on this earth, I want to see change in my heart. Until the last day on this earth, I want to know that I have changed. And that is one area where I needed to change and still need to change because it was such a huge part of my life as a teenager. I don't know, many of you don't know my story, but I was at the point of suicide and I would have killed myself if God had not intervened, all because of fear and anxiety. So, Fear, First John 4.18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So God is love. Obviously the fear is the opposite. And that's the tool of the enemy. We, we know that up here in theory and in theology. But it actually, when fear manifests itself, it is an indicator of how far 
or how close we are in our relationship with God. It's like a, it's like a dial, that kind of or a thermometer. You can use you know different pictures, but it actually is an indicator of what is lacking in our hearts at the very moment. Let's go on, talk a little bit about anxiety. Now they're often interlinked, obviously. But overall, anxiety is much harder to identify because it's not as subtle as fear. I mean, that cold, cold feeling of fear we are are so familiar with, we recognize it. But anxiety is much more, uh, it sneaks up on us in a way where we don't expect it. But listen, listen to what Paul says in uh, Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do not be anxious. And I, of course, as I always do, I had to check the Greek to make sure that's what it means, and that's what it means. It means uh, don't be anxious, or as it says in the message, don't fret or worry. That's maybe another side of it. Worry is a form, is very, is a cousin of anxiety, and of course we all worry. And yeah, like I told you, I have, I, I grew up in a family where worry was a big issue. My my parents, they're both gone now, but they were world champions when it came to worry and anxiety. And I didn't want to accept the fact that maybe I inherited some of that. <laughs> because as we always say when we are young, I'll never be like my mom. I'll never be like my dad. And lo and behold, we get older and we realize we actually have become, to some extent, just like they were. Now this is a powerful um, truth that we really don't have time to explore anymore. But we know from psychology, and I'm not a psychologist, but we know from psychology how much our past influences our present and our future. And that actually coincides also with the message of the Bible, where it talks about blessings of our forefathers and the sins of our forefathers infecting and impacting us to some degree all through life. So, anxiety and fear, they become like a gauge that... um, Let's us know the true state of our relationship with Jesus. And if we look at it that way, it, it kind of takes away some of that sting. Instead of, you know, letting it rule over us and driving us to the ground, driving us into depression, into, into maybe other uh, issues, um, we, can, we can look at it in a more positive light and say, oh, Why am I afraid? Why am I anxious? What is it that I'm missing right now in my relationship with God? Because perfect love casts out all fear. So this is, I find it very interesting. John says in 14.1, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. And again, it's like, this is a command. Don't let your heart be troubled. They're easier said than done, right? Especially in times like these. So, so why is it important that we tackle this issue and not just kind of ignore it? Well, obviously health reasons. We know how, uh, the fear, how fear affects our physical body. We know today that many sicknesses and issues are related to psychological issues, to emotional issues, and to spiritual issues. That's become quite, quite clear. So we need it for our very health. We need it for our psychological health. And we need it, of course, for our spiritual health. Now, there's something that I've been um, talking about ever since I, I began to learn and study about this spiritual formation It's the very fact that we have to learn and understand that God is always with us. Even in moments when it feels like he's a million miles away. 
I mean, that's what he said. I will never leave you nor forsake you. There are other scriptures that speak about the Holy Spirit being in us or Jesus being in us through the Holy Spirit, and he doesn't move. So why do we say, I feel like God is so far away? There's something wrong with that statement, because it's simply not true. What we should say instead is that, in my awareness, <laughs> it feels like God is a million miles away, but in reality, he has never moved one inch. And if you consider the heart, whatever that represents the soul, the spirit. It's a little bit muddled when we look in scripture. Those terms get interchanged quite often. It's not that crystal clear, really. But it's our inner man. And if Christ lives in our inner man, well, he can't get any closer, can he? He can't get any closer. So what are we talking about? What are we longing for? What are we griping about? He is right there. And unless we decide to leave him, he will not leave us. We have the right to turn our back on him, but even then he will pursue us and chase us for a lifetime. So the issue is not God not doing his job. He does what he said he would do. The issue is obviously with our understanding of it. So, the goal of managing anxiety is to connect us more fully with God and raise the awareness of what's going on. That means that uh, it's, anxiety can be like an early detection system, that something is not quite okay. And we shouldn't ignore it. And I think that's our problem. We often ignore it. We, we, we say, it's part of my personality. That's the way I was made. No. Listen to me. When God created you and me, he created a perfect human being. God does not create faulty things. When God created this world, it was perfect. We messed it up. And when God thought of you, even before you were conceived, even before you were born, he knew your name, he knew everything about you, and he created a perfect human being. And then... We were born into a sinful world. And we were born with a sinful heart because of the fall and of what happened long, long ago with Adam and Eve. And so what happens is we begin to adapt. So that being that God created, that's your authentic self. That's who you really are. But that's not always what, what you are today. And I remember being young because of my issues of fear. I began to adapt to my surroundings. And so because I was so afraid of my father, he was very abusive. Because he was so afraid, I learned how to lie in order to, to escape punishment. So when he would ask me, did you do your homework? Yes, Dad. The reality was I had not done my homework. But I was afraid to, say, to tell him the truth because he would have punished me. And so slowly we all adapted to this sinful world around us and we, we developed character traits that were never meant for us to have. That was not in God's agenda for you and me to become full of fear, full of anger, full of envy. I mean, there's a whole list of issues that we that we wrestle with, bitterness and, yeah, addictions and everything else. So, and that's for me the, the most mind-blowing part of it all. When God looks at you and me, us who are his children, he sees the person that he created before the fall. He sees that perfect human being that he made. And that's how he treats us. That's how he treats us. But the reality is now we live in this tension, and that really coincides with the theology and the vineyard about the, the now and the not yet, about the, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light overlapping and coexisting right now in this world. So we have these two personalities inside of us. We are all little schizophrenic 
we have this authentic self that God created and then we have this adapted self that we have built because of the sin around us. And the biggest enlightenment for me in recent years was actually there is a way to change that, to, to discover more and more about what God thought of when he actually made me. And there are many church fathers and theologians in the past that have told us without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. For many years, I didn't want to know about myself because I was afraid of what I would find. And maybe you feel the same way. It's scary. It's really, really scary to get to know yourself, to take a closer look. And you're afraid of what you find, what you see. So we try to ignore it, try to push it aside. But when we do that, there is no hope for change because we don't even know the difference between what God planned and what we had become. And so he's inviting us into this process of, on one hand, giving us a glimpse of what he thought of when he made us. On the the other hand, showing us the reality of what we have become and then inviting us into this process of transformation. And I had another issue with that. And I, I was so confused by many of the Bible verses, especially Paul's, when he talks about, you know, the old self and the old man. And then he talks about, but you have been crucified with Christ. You no longer live, but Christ lives in you. But in the next verse, he says, put on the new man and put away the old man. And it's like, Paul, make up your mind. Am I dead or not? <laughs> because that's how, I, that's how I read it. It was confusing to me. And it, it, it didn't help, really. But, but now I understand what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross daily. Now I understand that every day, and that's a, a practice that I have begun to do some years ago, every day, First thing in the morning when I wake up, I recommit my life to God. So I get saved every day, again and again. Because I know now that if I'm not careful, then this adapted self of mine will continue to, will try to take over, rule over me with all the fear and anxiety and all the other issues that I have and completely ruin my day. And the problem is it doesn't just ruin my day, it ruins everyone else's day. And that's the main thing about anxiety I didn't realize is that it's one thing to battle anxiety in your heart and to have panic attacks and to need help, but it affects everybody else. Uh, And so this, oh, there's so many things we could say about that, but um, what we carry, the baggage that we carry affects the people around us. Now I get it. My parents were anxious. That's why I grew up anxious. And that's why probably my children are anxious, because they saw me being anxious. (laughs) And is that what we want? I wish I would have had help when I was younger. I wish somebody would have told me what I'm telling you today. There is hope to break that cycle. And it's a process. It's not something instantly. That's what we want. And I wish I could give that to you, but I can't. I can't give it to you. No one can. But the invitation from God stands for all of us today to invite him into the darkest places of our soul one bit at a time, not all at once. Right now, it seems like he's putting his finger on fear and anxiety. Uh, And we need to pay attention to that. He wants to help us with that. Now, who knows? In, uh, in the past or in the future, it might be something else. It might be that he puts his finger on, on anger or unforgiveness. But right now, what we are dealing with, most of us anyway, is this issue with, with f- uh, a growing fear of the future and anxiety that plagues us. 
And we have a choice. Do we let it rule over us? Or are there tools? Is there a way we can at least diminish its impact? Like I said, we may not be able to stop it completely, but I think there's hope for all of us to grow. So, let's go on here. So this anxiety actually, and that's the scary part, it presents us with a false gospel. It's a gospel of self-reliance rather than reliance of God. Because the moment I worry and am anxious about something, I'm putting myself in the center and God on the sidelines. I'll, I'll continue with that in a moment here. So Jesus talks about denying the autos or the self. And he does say that, as annoying as it is, <laughs> whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself or themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Must. He must. We must deny. Deny what? Deny the adapted self that we have created. Deny that thing that actually was not in God's design. And the thing is, you cannot disown what you do not own. So sometimes we are in this, you know, dismissive mode. Oh, no, I don't have a problem with fear. I don't have a problem. But actually, you know, if we don't own it and say, yeah, actually, I do. <laughs> if we don't own it, we can't disown it. If we don't know it's alive, we can't kill it. And Jesus says we are supposed to kill it every day. <laughs> well, if we don't believe that it's alive, I can't do that. So it's okay to open your eyes and say, yep, I have a problem with this, so help me God. <laughs> and make it a daily prayer and, and get help. I think we all need more help than we acknowledge. We need trusted friends around us that we can talk to. You know, when I, when I grew up as a Christian, we never, ever talked about the soul. We never, ever talked about the inner life. There were these expectations of what it was like to be a Christian, what I was supposed to do as a Christian, and nobody taught me how to be a child of God. I tried to figure it out on my own, and it was a, a slow process that could have gone much quicker if I would have had someone who said, you know what, let me take you by the hand for a while. Let's walk together for a while. And I'll share with you what I've experienced with God so that you don't have to go through the same um, downfalls or disappointments that I've had. And that's why this whole issue about the spiritual formation is not an individual one. It's a collective one. That's why we are a family as a church. We always think that when it comes to our spiritual life, that's private. You know, we don't talk about our spiritual life. It's nobody's business. You know, that's, that's, my, that's my private thing. And we forget that actually there are people out there that could help us. But by opening up and, and even sharing with each other our hurts and pains and issues, not with everyone, obviously, but with people that are trusted, with people that are there, maybe have gone before you, maybe a little bit more mature, maybe have had similar issues. That's what we need. And we here in the Nordic are not good at that. Last thing I heard, we are still number one on the FN list for the most individualistic country in the world. <laughs> and we think that's good, but it's not. It's a lie of the enemy to tell us, I don't need anyone. I can do this by myself. It starts when we're two years old, you know. I can do it myself. I want to eat by myself. I don't need any help. And it goes through life. And it's not good. We need each other. So I, what, part of my job is to be a, a spiritual mentor for some of the leaders here in the Nordic. And I, I hear the cry of many, many others, leaders and not leaders. I don't know where to go. I don't know who to ask. I don't even dare to ask. Something has to change. 
Something has to change. And I, I believe any one of us has things to share that someone else needs to hear. Because we've all have, we have our own story, we have our own background, and there are things in your story that someone else needs to hear. So open your heart and ask the Lord, you know, who could I assist on their journey right now? Remember again, both fear and anxiety were not part of God's plan. When did fear begin? In the garden. After Adam and Eve had sinned. And God calls Adam. Adam, where are you? He was hiding. And he said, I was afraid because I was naked. That was the first time we see fear raise its ugly head. And it was the result of disobedience. It was the result of sin. So this is why so many people get stuck in their spiritual growth. Because they never wrestle with these issues. They've never been taught. They've never been helped along the way. So anxiety, now listen to this, anxiety is a sign that that false self is demanding we nourish it instead of dying to it. Anxiety is, is telling us that there's something we need that we don't really need. Because what we really need, obviously, is God. And so we need to learn how to discern it when it, when it comes up. The point is that anxiety becomes like a marker, that something other than my identity in Christ is at play, a false self that leads to death, not life. And I want to read something to you. I've been reading a very interesting book by uh, a guy called Steve Cuss, and he talks about anxiety in uh, leadership. So it was more like for church leaders. But uh, he, he, he says something I want to share with you because it really, in my, in my eyes, it really hits the target. He says this, Becoming like Christ is, was, is what God does in us, not what we do. God is the active agent, we are the recipient. The spiritual transformation it's, is God's work. What is our work then? Does God do all the work and we just sit around in life's hot tub, lazily waiting? No, we have to do work as well. It's just, it just isn't trying to become like Christ. Now, that's important. <laughs> Our job is not to try to be like Jesus. We think that's what it is. And we can't. Well, we might try, but we will fail so many times that we become depressed. So it's not your job or my job to become like Jesus. That's God's job. That's God's job. And that's important, important to know. Um, but it's e what we are to do is equally hard work, perhaps more difficult than the attempt to be like Jesus. Having died to our false self or our flesh, God now performs his resurrection miracle in us. We are now in a posture to be resurrected by the power of God into the freedom of life in God. It's not about shirking responsibility. It's about a clear division of labor. Now listen, our job, die to the false self. God's job, transformation into the likeness of Christ. And there's a difference. And if we confuse that, then we will come to a place where we just want to give up. Because I, I want to be like Jesus, but I really don't know how. And I can't make that happen. But what I can do, and what I'm told to do, is to die to that old self, and I need to do that daily. I thought it was enough if I did that on the day of salvation. It's not enough. I need to do it actually more than once a day <laughs> because if I don't, I will always wrestle with that, with that old self and it will you know, take over more and more. And then being a Christian becomes really frustrating. Like I said in the beginning, if we are not different from the rest of the world, we have lost our voice. If they can't look at us and see change, then, then we've lost the gospel. 
Those of you that are from Sweden, you know the wonderful story of Sebastian Staxet, a man who is a well-known rapper, um, but he was also a criminal, and he was in and out of jail, and yeah, not living a very good lifestyle, but everyone knows him pretty much because he's so famous. And then some years back, I can rem remember exactly when, but he had an encounter with God, and he really was changed. And so now whenever he shows up to speak, thousands of people want to hear him because they get hope. If, if he can change, maybe there's hope for me. And, you know, that's what we owe the world, to let them see the change inside of us. And you don't have to be a criminal <laughs> for needing change. We don't have to be, you know, completely broken in order to have a demonstration. Um, I'll give you another example. Some years ago, I, I was wrestling with an issue in my life, and uh, I was studying a, a personality thing called the Enneagram. Some of you know that. But anyway, it pointed out that one of my, my root sin is anger. And when I read that, immediately, you know, no, 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 I'm not angry. <laughs> you know, we, quickly, we like to deny when we hear or see things like that. And so, uh, because I'm not usually a person that blows up in anger. My anger sits deep inside. And most of the time, I'm just angry at myself. Still the same thing. So, I asked God, would you help me with that? And sure enough, next day, he helped me with that. <laughs> I was driving on the way to the Tunnel Barna in Stockholm, and I was late. And... Uh, <laughs> There was a car in front of me going 30 where you can go 50. And there it was. It rose up, and I became upset at that driver because I was in a hurry, and, and, and obviously they were not. <laughs> and so and God said, there it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I started pay, paying attention to that. Now I had a handle on it. I, I, I saw a trigger. That's obviously not the only trigger, but there was one obvious one today. And so I, I worked with that. I said, God, help me. I don't want to be angry at this driver in front of me. I don't even know what they're going through. Maybe they just had an accident and they're fearful. Maybe they just have a big problem in their lives and they're just thinking about it instead of their speedometer. <laughs> Lord, help me. And so instead of being angry, I began to pray for them and bless them. And the moment I did that, the next time when the situation arose and it keeps arising, some people drive really slow, <laughs> you know, when it comes, it's a little bit easier. I'm not saying I've completely mastered it, but I'm saying it's gotten better. I'm saying I have begun to change. And that's exciting when someone in my age can still change. <laughs> And that's what I'm talking about in, in regards to fear and anxiety. There is hope for change. And, and I hope that you walk out from here today and remember one thing maybe only. There is hope for me to change. Um, we have just a bit more time. I have so many tools I wanted to share with you. And I, I realize now we, I don't have time to go through all of them. But just a little bit more. It starts by created, creating an awareness. Like I said, I ask God to make me aware of my anger. So we can ask him, Lord, make me aware of my anxiety. When does it creep up? When does it happen? How does it happen? And we are all different. For some people, it's like a racing mind or, or just a, a spinning heart or just a tightening gut. And I was thinking about it this morning. I was a little bit anxious before I stood up here this morning. I always do before I talk to people. And I feel it right in here, right in my tummy. Strange feeling, isn't it? Something tightening in there. And so we need to pay attention to what's happening in our physical body when anxiety comes. Otherwise, we don't even know that we have it. So that's interesting. So now we need to take some time to consider where and when anxiety shows up. Because that in itself already helps us. Uh, sometimes another way to, to 
find out is uh, what is the last thing you, th you think about before you go to bed? What is the first thing you think about when you wake up? That's usually something that will cause anxiety. You know, there's a problem, there's an issue, there's a need, there's a pain in your body, there, whatever it could be. What's the last thing you think about when you go to bed or the first thing that comes to mind when you wake up? This mountain that's in front of you, this issue, this problem that you don't know how to tackle. And so there it is, again, the anxiety. And then once you, once you know, okay, there it is, then we can go into this uh, overcomer mode <laughs> where we say, but God, I invite you into this. I don't want this. I, I don't want this feeling in my gut. I don't want my, my heart to pound when I think about my financial issues. I don't want to go off you know, in, with a racing mind trying to solve problems that I don't know how to solve. Will you help me? And then we have that, problem, that promise that the peace of God that transcends all our understanding will come to us and help us. He will help us. But many times he wants us to ask him for help. He doesn't want us to just accept things the way they are. So I have a, a list of, of things that might trigger anxiety. Um, it could be like remembering past mistakes. We all have made mistakes, obviously. What usually happens is that we want to avoid them a second time. And so we become more fearful and we become more careful. And sometimes because of that, we, we become less courageous. Maybe you've tried praying for a sick person and it was an embarrassment because nothing happened. So next time you're challenged, you don't want to do it because you feel like you failed the first time. So you are afraid, you are anxious, thinking about doing it again, right? So we need to learn how to overcome our past mistakes. Then they are what we call the giants on our shoulders. And what we mean by that is um, voices in our lives that are with us. Uh, for most of us, there's a voice on our shoulder, maybe from our father or our mother, or our husband or wife, or a spiritual leader, pastor, or someone else that keeps kind of shouting at us in a certain situation, this is what you should do, or this is what you should not do. And sometimes uh, that just thinking about that makes us, makes us anxious. It triggers an anxiety inside of us. So this is also something, knowing and naming these giants can relieve us of, of feeding them. Or there's one called the blind spot knowledge. How do we react when people point out things in our lives that we didn't know we had? That's, it's a rough one because we all have blind spots. There are things in our lives that we don't really know, but they're obvious to other people. And if they're brave enough to actually point them out to us, what does that trigger in us? Do we become defensive? Do we become angry? Or do we become just anxious by by thinking the other way, well, maybe God has helped or sent this person to help me see something that he wants to help me with. You know, that kind of takes the sting out of that, that knowledge that might be painful and help us to, to become more receptive to actually God's help. There's another one, and that's, that's a big one for me. It's called values violations. We all have values. That's good. But the problem is, how do we react when other people break those values? Now, growing up in Germany, I learned to be punctual, right? It's a value. Yes, some Germans back there. <laughs> so I remember whenever we went as a family, we always were 30 minutes before time, every time. It doesn't matter what it was, half an hour before. So... I, I just grew up like that. I can help it. So for me, it's a value. But the problem is, I mean, for me, I think it's a good value to have, to respect other people's time. There's nothing wrong with that. But, of course, you dare to break that value, and I react. And that's when it's not good anymore. <laughs> and that's the, what we call value violation. When somebody violates a value for you, then you anxiety is triggered, and I, I, I can just imagine 
what I did to my kids. I don't I didn't know about these things back then. But I'm sure they became anxious because dad was anxious about being on time for something. And I remember maybe people that I worked with in church or in other contexts, they, they say, Oh, you have to be on time. Norbert wants us to be on time. So without me wanting it, I create anxiety for them. Do you see the, the chain reaction? <coughs> That's why I say it's so important that we tackle these things because they're not just affecting us. They're affecting the people around us. So by, by working with these things, we are actually helping other people around us as well as our own. And then there are these anger fantasies. We've all had them. Let me explain. Someone, someone hurt you. Someone did something uh, that you just became really upset about. But, of course, you don't have the courage to confront them. You would never do that. You wouldn't just go to them and say, hey, what you did or what you said was really out of line. Instead, you indulge in these anger fantasies where you're in your mind. You, 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 you play this scene that you are confronting them in your mind and you're telling them everything that you want to tell them and they are so understanding. And they're, oh, they forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And, and then it feels all better for you. But it didn't do anything, did it? Uh, it, it triggered an anxiety, and it's actually, uh, <laughs> it's uh, self-righteousness at its deadliest <laughs> because we can indulge in it without ever even engage another person. Then there's doubt in self and in God. Well, we know how that can trigger anxiety. So, Awareness is one thing, but being able to pay attention and die to it is another thing altogether. And that's a skill that will take time. And uh, we, this is such a huge topic, I cannot possibly give you all the tools that you might need, and I don't have them. I'm not trained in, in psychology. I'm just a person that loves to read a lot of books. And I'm an eternal student, and I learn and study, and I learn and study. That's just who I am. And so for me, if I want to keep what I learned, I need to give it away. And that's what I'm doing. So I'm just passing on to you what has become important to me, and I'm hoping a little bit of it will remain with you, and you will be able to take with you. But there are some things, and that's maybe the biggest of it all, and I want to maybe wrap it up with that. We need to break some patterns. We all are stuck in patterns. And so um, um, one of the patterns has to do with idols. And let me read something for you here from Colossians 3, 1 to 5. <clears throat> Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. There he goes again, Paul. He just said, he said, we died. How come I'm still alive? He just said it. You died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore... Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, and he lists sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Here in one verse, it's actually more than one verse, but in this passage, we have that, the things we talked about. First he says, we have died with Christ, and then he says, put to death those things. So again, there's a tension, and I hope you can take that with you, what it means Yes, yes, we have died in Christ to our sinful nature. But we still need to put to death that authentic self that we have shaped. And that's a daily thing. And that's why Jesus said that we are to take our cross daily. I hope that makes sense to you. It, it helps me. And like I said, I made it into a practice. You may want to try that. Uh, obviously, you know, like all habits in life, they don't come easy. So I had posters put on my wall. So when I wake up and open my eyes, that's the first thing I see is commit your life to God. Yeah, yes, right. So uh, you may have to do that. 
unless you're so dis- disciplined, you don't need that. So this is one of the most recurring topics in the New Testament and the Old Testament is about idolatry. And when we think about idolatry, you know, we think of the heathens praying to wooden <laughs> statues and stones and trees and whatever else. And we think that it doesn't affect us. In reality, we do have to battle with idols. And we have to be very, very much aware of them. Um, an idol, now listen, if, if you take nothing else with you, take that with you. An idol is anything other than Jesus that you must have to be okay. <laughs> yes, an idol is anything other than Jesus that you must have to be okay. So if I must have a glass of wine in order to be okay, it can become an idol. Not saying that it's wrong, but it can become an idol. If I must, um, if I must watch two hours of Netflix every day in order to be okay, then it is in danger of becoming an idol. Not that watching television in itself is sinful. So that really tightens it, doesn't it? (laughs) Wow. Now, I'm going to read another quote to you by Tim Keller. Some of you know him. He's a a pastor and author. And uh, too bad Carson is in here. He listens to him when he can't sleep. Uh, It helps him put to sleep. Listen to Tim Keller. (laughs) But he says some amazing things. And I love his his view on, on idolatry. He says, An idol is a functional savior. Why do we lie or fail to love or break our promises or live selfishly? Of course, the general answer is because we are weak and sinful. But the specific answer is that there is something besides Jesus Christ that we feel we must have to be happy. Something that is more important to our heart than God. Something that is enslaving our heart through inordinate desires. The key to change and even to self-understanding is therefore to identify the idols of the heart. Wow. Another way to know if something is an idol or not is uh, what is it we sacrifice time, money, and energy so I know that's, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? Because maybe we never thought of idolatry in that sense. <laughs> but that's really the message of the New Testament. Anything that pushes Jesus aside in any direction is in danger of becoming an idol. And of course, as a result then, fear and anxiety have a foothold. Because deep, deep down our spirit knows it's wrong. And so and it creates anxiety by us trying to feed that idol by giving it the right amount of time or energy or attention. It could be as simple as a game on your phone. Does that hit home to somebody? It could be it can be simple things. It doesn't have to be this huge statue that you pray to, which I know none of us, you know, does. But there are these little things that want to take our attention, and if we let them, they eventually will grow bigger and bigger and take more time and energy from us than actually being and living with God. So, all right, we're almost done. Um, Yeah, I'm going to skip. I have some self-tools that diffuse anxiety, but obviously uh, this is too much to go through today. Um, Are they on the slides? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to try to put that up for you then. Um, Yes, they are in the slides. And, of course, they have wonderful books written about that that can help you with that. Um, Like things like creating a life-giving list of things that that give you life uh, and in, in that kill anxiety, like people, places, and activities that we can do. Um, yeah. In conclusion, so the, there are tools, and I sadly didn't have time to mention many of them here this morning. 
There are tools for yourself. There are tools for your relationships. I hope you attended the, uh, the marriage seminar that was offered here this week. I hope you got some inspiration and help from that. Um, there are other tools like personality tests that help us to get to know ourselves, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, the Big Five. Pick one. I'm not saying one is better than the other, but get to know yourself. Work on that. Get to know yourself. I know it's not easy and it's painful and it can be messy, but that's how it starts. If I don't know what's wrong with me, then I cannot get help. It's, it's as, that, as easy as that. And to just go through life, you know, and just ignoring it all, like I did for many years, because we never talked about these things. Yeah, God will take care of that. It's called sanctification. You know, I will become more and more like him the older I get. You know what I've met people that have been Christians for 50, 60 years, and when I look at their character, I'm not impressed. Yes. You too? You've met them too? <laughs> Why is that? You would think if somebody goes to church all their life, and professes God and Jesus as their Savior, they should be close to sainthood by the time they get 60. But it just goes to show you it, that's not how it works. That is not how it works. Transformation is promised to us, but it requires our attention. It requires a bit of work on our part. It requires a daily invitation to say, God, there's this thing in my life that I want to change. And so that's what I do. <clears throat> I pick one thing at a time, because otherwise I get overwhelmed. I pick one thing at a time that kind of I know, okay, this is still a kind of a sore point. This is a weakness. I know it now. And so I, I pick one thing, and I ask God to help me with this one thing. And so, and you know what? He usually responds really well. He helps me with this one thing. And then it feels so good to just lose a little bit of that anger, to lose a little bit of that fear, to lose a little bit of that whatever it is, and say, wow, there is hope for me. Now, this is going to be a big challenge for you, but if you look back at this past year, can you see any change, positive change, <laughs> I hope, <laughs> in your life? Now, sometimes we don't see it ourselves, but others around us see it. And it's probably a very, very, very dangerous question to ask, but sometimes we need to do that to someone that's close to us. Have you seen any change in me this past year? You may not want to hear the answer. But at the same time, when there's even just the smallest thing that they notice, yes, yes, there is hope for me. Yes, there is hope to be changed and transformed because that's what we all need. So there are more other, other tools. Uh, the, the last tool I've talked about many, many times in this context, and I know many of you are aware of it. It's become my favorite all-time tool. It's called the Examine. Now, many of you know what that is, right? Yes. For those of you that don't, um, you usually practice it in the evening, but for some people it doesn't work that way, so they do it at another time. You basically go through the day and you remember or remind yourself of all the positive and negative things that happened. And so I usually start with the negative so that I can stop with the positive, but it doesn't matter which order you do. So I go through the painful things. Uh, there was a conversation that was painful. There was maybe something wrong with my body or I heard some bad news from one of my kids. And, and then... So I, I re replay that, even though it can be painful. And, but then when I'm done, I say, but God, you were there in this. You saw it. You heard it. You were right there. And now I, I give it back to you. And it's just a great relief. And then I go into the positive. And I thank God for the, the lovely meal, the nice walk, um, the nice talk or whatever it is, the new worship song that was so encouraging or whatever it is. And I foster a grateful heart by saying, I thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for all your blessings. Because sometimes we are so ungrateful. We take everything for granted. But we, we have to realize that all good things come from God and they are a blessing to us. And Jesus actually notices that. 
he noticed that of the ten lepers that he healed, only one came back and said thank you. And he <laughs> talked about that in scripture. I, not that he needs our thanks. He doesn't need our thanks. But he wants to know that we appreciate his blessings for what they are, undeserved gifts of grace. So if you've never tried this before, you can Google it. There's even an app for your phone that can guide you through the different steps. Those tools are available for us. And for me, that has become the most powerful tool in in my quest to become better managing my fear and my anxiety. And so I want to encourage you with that. Examen. It's just called the examen or the prayer of examen. It comes from the Ignatian spirituality. It's very, very old. It's Catholic. (laughs) 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 But it's powerful. It's been proven. And I, I tell you, it has changed me over time, not instantly. By using it for months and months and months, I noticed a change in my heart. So I want to close with that. Uh, if you're interested, I brought some of my books in English and in Swedish. If you're interested in our story, some of what I shared is in there, not all of it. Also, if you want to learn more, um, I have a podcast called The Voyager. You can find it on all podcast platforms. And there, right now I have 44 episodes out there that you can listen to that hopefully can be an inspiration to you. Let me close in a word of prayer. So, Father, we, we ask that you would help us during these t- trying times. And, Lord, you do not want us to live in fear, and you do not want us to be overcome by our anxieties. And so, Lord, we cry out for help, and we ask that, Lord, you show us what you thought of when you created us. Certainly people without fear and anxiety, Lord. So, Father, I pray for each and every one that has been here today, Lord, that we would find uh, an entrance to this journey and to the inner life where we can experience you in a whole new way and get help and transformation and change over time for the points in our lives that you want to help us with. Be with us, Lord, and let your peace reign and rule in our hearts from this day forth. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.